You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly and up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. This is Socks in the Basement. 30 minutes of socks for fans by fans. Brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Our good friends located here on the south side who were elected by the Daily Southtown. I don't know if that is elected, named, whatever they were. Uh, the Southtown's best in 2021. There's a reason for that. They are the best at taking care of bowing walls and window wells and foundation and crack repair, keeping water out of your basement. Little things like some pump issues. They will come out and they'll take a look at it. They'll give you a really honest answer, too. Like, I- I've had them out here before. Like, hey, this sump pump, been around a couple of years, uh, did something weird the other day, does it need to be replaced? Technically, Chris, you probably won't see that problem again for a couple of years. If you see this, then we can replace it, and this is what we would replace it for. Like, that's how I want to deal with somebody when I'm dealing with a problem inside of my house. You can do the same thing. Reach out to this family and veteran-owned business and operation since 2013, 24-7, 708-330-4466. Mention us, get money off. FamilyDry.com, what a difference a family makes. We have a good show, I think here today, Ed, and, and there's things that I want to get into. When, when do we have a bad show? Uh, yeah, I don't know. We, we don't have uh, any bad shows. No, I guess not. Sometimes I get to the end and I go, eh. If it, if it ever became Cubs in the basement, that'd maybe. Be yeah. That'd be bad. You know, here's the thing. The hardest thing for me is trying to figure out what I want to talk about on this show when we're in the middle of a lockout. And we might as well just jump right into what happened with the owners and the players getting together and talking on Thursday, which was something that I think people overreacted to. People got a little bit too excited about the results of their first meeting in about a month because the the owners showed up. They said, here's our proposal. And the players were like, Ugh! and they reacted badly to it as you knew they were going to. Right. And now that's it. We're not going to have a season. You know, everything's falling apart. Panic, mass hysteria, cats and dogs living together. Total anarchy. Like that's that's what the reaction was to this. And. I wanted to kind of fall back a little bit, if you, if, if all of you will just indulge me for a moment, on my experience being the head of a union when I was a 9 dispatcher for the Cook County Sheriff's Police and the couple of contracts that I negotiated and the arbitration hearing that I went through and, and just all this different stuff where I would have to sit down at a table with lawyers on my side, lawyers on their side. Everybody knew what they wanted, but you had to do this dance. And I'm really starting to understand what the owners are doing. What the owners are doing here is what we have is we have two groups. We have one that's very small that really holds the majority of the cards and that has done this before for the most part. There are many owners that are part of this group now that did this in 1994. Meanwhile, the players, some of them weren't even alive. And those that were don't have any real recollection of the last time there was a labor stoppage in Major League Baseball. So there's a massive advantage to the owners. But the other thing that I don't think people get is that during a negotiation like this, what management's trying to do, Ed, is they're trying not to get 100% of the players to sign off on their proposal. They're trying to get 51% of the players to sign off on their proposal. They don't care if Max Scherzer's happy. You have guys that are at different points in their career with different pay scales 
that are at different levels from each other and at different uh, different goals. They come from different cultures. And what Major League Baseball's owners are trying to do is make sure that about half of those guys like their proposal. And then what they'll do is they'll turn around and they'll tell the rest of the players, can we vote on this? Because I'd like to play baseball on opening day. And I think that's what the plan is here from the owners. If you really sit back and you think about this, they don't need to make all the players happy. They don't need to make the guys that are trying to make big bucks off of this happy. What they need to do is they need to get the majority of the union to like the proposal. Because one of the hardest things, Ed, when you're in charge of a union, and when I was a union president, it used to just it used to be the most difficult thing that I had to do was keeping everybody on the same page. Because when management would come to us with a proposal, and let's say that proposal benefits most of the younger people that still have another 15 years left, but it doesn't help the older people. Well, if the younger people make up 60 to 70% of the union, they're like, all right, cool, let's sign. And the older people are angry about it because they have other goals, but they don't have the majority in their own union. And eventually, ownership, management, the owners can wear down a union when the union itself isn't on the same page. By waiting until we get to the beginning of the season, by putting pressure on and the possibility of games not being played and cutting into guys' game checks, you will start to get guys who are part of the union that waiting and holding out for four or five other points that aren't important to them, they'll be like, that doesn't matter to me. Let's vote on what's here right now. I want to go back. I'm good enough with the deal. You also have to think about where every both sides are coming from because you negotiate from your power stance, right? That, that, that's where you come to the table. You don't come to the table and start negotiating on a point that you cannot win or from a point of weakness where you know the other side has you over the barrel. The owners are going to aim for... Like you said, the majority, they're going to aim for guys that represent a greater swath of the MLBPA, partially because those guys come from a different point of strength than the guys who have already made a ton of money. Max Scherzer, for example, is on that player's committee, right? Max Scherzer is about to be one of the richest guys ever to walk away from the game when he retires. But he's not going to be representative of every starting pitcher in the major leagues this year. In fact, he's representative of him. And if Trevor Bauer comes back, that's the only other guy that's even a comp as far as contract is concerned. Let's take a look real quick at one player on the White Sox as an example for people. Okay. Let's take a look at Luis Robert. You're Luis Robert. You get a vote just like Max Scherzer. You got to vote just like Marcus Simeon. You got to vote just like Lucas Giolito. You've got to vote just like everybody else. But you've, you've already signed through your arbitration years and you've signed through your first couple years of free agency. And so any changes to this contract, there are certain things that don't matter to you. Like the change in the certain things that the players are fighting for will have no impact on his life. So if he gets things in there that he likes, he would be more willing, you would think, to say, okay, I'm done with this. Can we just vote? I'm good with this contract. And I think that's the thing that people don't get, that the players are all very different in what their goals are, right? Like the goal of a Lucas Giolito is different than the goal of a Luis Robert at this point in his career, at this point in his life, and for the things that he believes in. So you might get an instance where these two are teammates, these two are both of the same union, but one of them might be okay with a deal and the other one might want to keep fighting. And all Major League Baseball has to do is get enough people that are okay with the deal 
And then those people will turn within their own union and say, I'm okay with the deal. And that's what I think is going to happen here. And I think that's what the goal of Major League Baseball is. Well, and and it's also, I agree with you. And I think it's also not just that the owners are factoring in that there's enough players that could override, you know, the needs of the many could outweigh the needs of the few. But I do also think that there are points, there are talking points that have been put out there that a guy like Lucas Giolito, who is in that moment of what happens at the CBA might make the difference between whether or not the White Sox control him or whether or not he hits that free agency where he wants that big dollar contract versus somebody like Dylan Cease, who is still likely going to be under team control based on age, based on how many years he's been in the league versus Giolito or versus somebody that signed an extension, like you said, like Luis Robert, who is going to be different than Andrew Vaughn, who has not signed an extension or is, is going to be different than Gavin Sheets, who is on the fringe. So if I'm the owners and I agree with you, if I'm the owners, what I'm doing is I'm looking at statistically what's on my roster, what's on everybody else's roster, what's in the players association right now. And if I am speaking to a glut of players that are in that, say, 27 to 31 range, and there are guys that are not under contract, and there's mostly guys that are going to go through that arbitration process, then I have to be thoughtful of those. But I think where they're really looking is, they're really looking at this league has old guys that they don't care about anymore, but I think they're looking towards the younger guys that start to make up most of it that are not going to be all of a sudden magically free agents at the end of the CBA, but that they are going to sit there and point to them and say, hey, we're going to take care of you guys during this time when you're under team control. We'll make it good for you, but you might not like it at the end of your career. But those guys are going to sit there and go, I don't really care about the end of my career. I want I want what I want now. So I, I think it's worth looking at what is the, you know what is the Major League baseball players association mostly made up of. And I think if you can sort out who those guys are and what they want, I think you'll be able to figure out what it is. Now, the other thing too about negotiations is never make anything out of a public statement because publicly the players have got to show disgust at the owners. The owners have got to show disgust at the players. They've got to win the press conference, but privately it's what they're sitting there going we don't care about that, or we actually secretly agree with that, and we'll sign it, but, ah, no, we're not doing that. Right, right. It's all about being indignant right up to the point where you actually sign the deal. Exactly, exactly. When we get back to the ballpark eventually, pork and carry at the park is the place to be, pregame, postgame, and even... In-game, they do viewing parties there as well. You can rent out the entire place if you want to in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton. Award-winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites. And on Mondays, non-White Sox home game Mondays, two-for-one burgers when you dine in. They have an extensive bar, rotation of craft beers, and familiar favorites. They are also located... At 10614 Southwestern, the original Cork and Carry, a traditional Irish bar right there in the Beverly neighborhood where I think they are going to be partying big time. Oh, yeah. Coming up in March now that they have announced the Southside Irish Parade is coming back. Like, I 
Imagine that those that hang out at that bar, the people that work at that bar, uh, everybody associated with Cork and Carey is super excited the Southside Irish Parade is coming back. That is the place to be during that parade. If you want to learn more about Cork and Carey at the park or Cork and Carey in Beverly, check them out at CorkandCarey.com. On the phone with us this week, uh, this is kind of a fun interview that I don't know if we would do if it weren't for the fact there's a lockout and it gives us an opportunity to kind of sit down and talk to different people that do things either with the White Sox, around the White Sox, cover the White Sox in a way that's not actually audio, that you we would normally never be able to kind of like present a visual thing to you through this podcast. But joining me on the line right now is Joe Ruffalo. Joe not only uh, is a freelance photojournalist, but he does it for uh, publications in Northwest Indiana, for the Chicago Sun-Times, and for our good friends over at Socks on 35th, where you can hear Socks in the Basement now. All the episodes are over there. We're working with them. They're working with us. And I learned about Joe as being a contributor who goes out and gets live-action shots of the White Sox, and I wanted to bring him in and talk a little bit about what he does. How are you, Joe? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Dude, I'm, I'm having a great time just sitting around waiting to see how the owners and the players mess this up. Oh, they're boy. finally talking, <laughs> but they're going to mess this up. And we and we're and it doesn't matter cuz we're just going to put up with it, Joe. Like that's the thing. We're making the most of it. Yeah, whatever they do, we're all going to show up with our money the day that they come back and start playing games again because we're suckers and we're just we're just going to go back just like they did in 94 and we'll just all go back and we'll just we'll just carry on and they're just putting us through hell and they don't care. But Forget that. Let's let's talk about what you do. I'm really intrigued by it. This is something that I can't do, and that is take a good picture. I am brutally bad at taking pictures. Every time I take a shot, I go, man, it's going to look great. And then I then I see it afterwards, and it's an absolute mess. You are taking high-quality photos of live action in a ball game. You're taking photos of guys, uh, off-the-cuff moments, interacting with fans. First of all, how do you get into this? How do you find your way into your profession? Well, I think above all else, you have to have the passion for it because at times it can be very unforgiving. Um, when you're trying to pursue it professionally, you're going to be told to know a lot. So it's just, it, sometimes it can just be a matter of taking things into your own hands and pursuing it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I have no league affiliation. I have no team affiliation. I'm pretty much going out there as a passionate White Sox fan and making the most of these games because, I mean, as we all know, this is an exciting time to be a White Sox fan. You know, we've we've gone through the whole rebuild process, and now we're at the point where we can start uh, focusing on competing in the postseason. As a fan, I feel like I have an obligation with my passion to document this, and um, it's not always easy. It's you know, especially with the team now, the, the park is packed pretty much. You know, there's there's a lot more obstacles than there have been in let's say 2018 and beforehand. So um, I just go there and I, I try to be as prepared as possible and um, just let the game kind of play out and be an observer. Yeah, you're kind of like Peter Parker, the uh, Tobey Maguire version of Spider-Man, where he <laughs> he's he's running around taking the pictures, but he doesn't actually work for the Daily Bugle. And then he goes and he sells them to all these different publications, which I think is kind of cool, man. I like I think it's awesome when you're when you go to a game when you're covering the team, when you're trying to get these action shots, when you're waiting for the moment, what are you looking for? Are you looking for the off-the-cuff personal thing where you see one player laughing at another player? Are you waiting for the big moment and hoping you catch the, the bat hitting the ball right before the big home run? Is it is it all anticipation 
or are you just kind of going with the flow and waiting to see what you end up with at the end? I go there for both. I go there before first pitch, and I focus on kind of what's happening, the, the relationship between teammates and, um, you know, fan interactions. That's one of my favorite parts of going to the park early is uh, just seeing fans interacting with the players, getting autographs. Um, that really hits home with me because that's really where I got my start was going to the ballpark early and documenting my, my up-close uh, encounters with guys like, you know, Jeter and Ichiro and, and the superstars of, of my childhood. So I, I look for, I kind of look for that. And then, yeah, obviously when the game is kind of playing out uh, and you can kind of just, you try to position yourself in areas where you can hopefully get a good shot of a walk-off or a big home run or a milestone. Um, it just, it really depends, but uh, that it comes down to a lot of luck, but there, there is preparation involved, no doubt about it. Is there a guy that's more fun to fo- uh, photograph than anybody else on this team? Like, is there somebody that's just happy-go-lucky, always smiling, um, you know, doing things uh, that that may have a look of pure joy on their face when they're on the field? Is there somebody that when you're training the camera around the field and you're you're focusing in on a different players, pitchers, batters uh, on the Chicago White Sox that you go, yep, there he is, and he's always a perfect shot? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, there's there's multiple guys on the team, but the one that really stands out to me is Eloy. I mean, just, he's always got a smile on his face. He's always interacting with the fans. He just personality wise and obviously skill wise, because he's a very talented ball player. He's just everything that you'd want from a ball, from a baseball player. Uh, before games, he's, he's interacting with fans. He's waving. He, it's, it's like, he's a, he's enjoying the kid or he's enjoying the game from a child's perspective. And I think that's, that's, it's very, it's, it's very inspiring to see. So Eloy, Unfortunately, we haven't, we didn't get to see as much of him this year as we wanted, uh, but he's the one guy that sticks out to me. And then obviously, really everybody on the team, Liam Hendricks, when he gets a big strikeout, I mean, capturing Liam Hendricks when he's doing that big, ferocious scream on the mound, that I mean, that gets me charged up. There's, there's so many personalities on this current team that it's, it's, it's difficult not to enjoy photographing them and, and following their, their road to, obviously, a World Series championship. Do you find yourself, as you learn more about this team, looking for certain things from certain players? Like when Lance Lynn is pitching, understanding that at some point he's going to get pissed off and he's going to like make a face. And so you're like, I've got to keep my eye on him because when he does it, that's going to be a great shot. Like, are there, are there guys you kind of you come to the ballpark and you go, OK, this guy's pitching or this guy's playing. And based upon his personality, I've got to make sure I at least get a shot or two when that moment comes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You pay you pay attention to how the game kind of unfolds, and uh, obviously uh, the circumstances evoke different emotions from different players, and that's definitely something that I pay attention to because obviously I love capturing when the team has these triumphant wins. But part of the game, there, there's always a winner and there's always a loser. So I'd like to try to capture the heartbreak of defeat, um, which I don't really post a lot of, but I do capture it because it's you know like I said, sports. You're not always going to win every every game of the season. Yeah, there's so many emotions in a baseball game that I feel like they're all important to to capture. You know, for pictures, man, Instagram's kind of my thing. Like, if I want to look at visual stuff, I'm thinking JRuff96. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram and and Twitter. I I have the same same handle. It's J-R-U-F-F as in Frank, 96. And then, yeah, obviously, Socks on 35th. I want to take a moment and just give a shout out to Socks on 35th because Joe and everybody over there has been absolutely incredible with giving me a platform to share my work and having it reach a part of the fan base that I don't, 
I obviously don't think that I would reach otherwise. So they've been super important in helping get my work out there. And I owe them a shout out because they've been, they've been awesome with sharing my work uh, throughout the season and, you know, moving forward. Well, here, one more question I want to ask you that I've always wanted to ask a photographer at a sporting event. Does it ruin the moment that you're trying to actually capture the picture? Like when there's a massive home run, Larry Garcia goes deep in game three or a walk off home run during the year. Like, uh, you know, Gavin Sheets had that massive home run where he walked it off earlier on in the year and everybody else is in the throes of celebration. You have to go to work, right? So do you ever feel like you miss out on the initial like, yeah, like moment because you're snapping away or does it enhance the moment for you when you're trying to find that shot while everybody else is celebrating? That's an excellent. That's an excellent question. And to be perfectly honest, you're you're part of you're part of that experience, but you're seeing it in a different way. Um, a lot of what I did this last season was anticipating the moment, and you prepare, and you sit there, and you wait, and you definitely feel it. You feel the adrenaline. But there's certain times where, even with that Larry Garcia walk off home run that I captured in, I believe September, I didn't even know where the ball landed. I didn't know it went straightaway center. And I just kind of, I, 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 I took it in from the perspective of behind being a, a photographer and you just, you, you view it in a different way. I, I walked out of that park and with just complete goosebumps and same with the other two walk-offs that I captured. And it, it does take away from living it in that moment, but having that shot for other people to experience, it's, it's just as important. That's awesome. Joe Ruffalo. Uh, he, you can see his work in all kinds of places, including at Sox on 35th. You can check him out on Twitter and Instagram at jruff 96 And I appreciate you jumping on and talking a little bit about what you do. I, I love the shots. I love the images. It's one of the many reasons why when Sox in the Basement and Sox on 35th got together, I was like, these are the people I want to work with because your shots make that site look so good. And uh, I'm super impressed with it, Joe. I appreciate you jumping on the show. Thank you so much for the kind words, and obviously I greatly appreciate the invite to come on the show. Keep up the great work on your end, too. If you're looking for legal protection, you might want to check out Village Law Offices. They help you protect the people and assets in your life and your afterlife, of course. Estate planning, wills, trust, powers of attorney, probate, real estate closings, prenups, you name it. They do it at Village Law Offices. They actually take care of small businesses as well. If you're starting a business, selling or buying, need contracts drawn up, give them a call, 847-656-3600, located in Schaumburg at 1312 Tower Road. You can learn all about them and mention Socks in the Basement. They'll take good care of you. VillageLawOffices.com. Call ahead so you can be dead without any dread. <laughs> I love that tagline. <laughs> I love that one, Ed. I love that tagline. That one's great. That's awesome. As we as we get to the end of the uh, of the episode, I know you wanted to kind of go over some zips projections. I don't know how much I trust these. Well, things. I don't know how much I trust the zips projections either, because you know, even admittedly, they'll look at it and say stuff like, "We can't really predict Eloy Jimenez fully because he's coming off of an injury, and you don't know if he's going to go back to." you know, it's something better or if he's going to take some more time and you have suppressed 
stats from him from last year. I want to say Fangraphs does this, right? Is this something that comes out of them, the Zips rejection? And then they, they basically do comps and they try to figure out whether or not a guy is going to do better or worse or the same as what he did the year before. When you went through the projections that came out this offseason, like, did anybody stand out to you? Like, instead of, like, going player by player, did something just jump out at you? Well, what jumped out at me was some of the things, that, 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 some of the comps that they made from prior players, okay? So, for example, the, some of them are, are a little on the interesting side, and some of them just kind of make you sit there and, and scratch your head. So you have somebody like, for example, Jose Abreu, and his comp for this season coming up is none other than Bill Moose Scouron formerly of the White Sox back in the 50s. And, and you sit there and you look at it and you go, well, how, how do you measure Jose against Moose Scouron, whose you know, highest home run total was 28 back in 1961? But you know, then you look at it and you go, okay, well, this is a guy who's got no PS plus, consistently above average hitter. This is a guy who, for his time, was a feared slugger. So what they're basically saying is, is that Jose Abreu is a guy that could be just a really reliable slugger on the downside of his career like Moose was when he was in his 30s. And if you compare Jose Abreu to Moose, then he doesn't seem so old. Right. And then you feel better. Exactly. Because as he gets older, you're worried about his decline. So this is great. Like, if you're going to compare him to an old guy, you go, oh, well, you know. Really, really old. He's younger than Moose. (laughs) But then you get some that are a little like, uh, like, for example, you get some like, oh, my, I I don't remember this guy being this good. But uh, Luis Robert was compared to Rondell White early on in his career when he was with the Montreal Expos. And Rondell White is a guy that you sit there and you go, I don't remember him at all. But that's because he was at the start of his career really good before injuries took a toll and turned him into somebody who wasn't anything. But this is a guy that was like, you know, on a rocket ship up when he was the center fielder for the Expos. But then you get some that are depressing, like Yoan Moncada. If you could pick any 90s third baseman, which one would you want Yoan Moncada to be referenced to? And I just pick one because I'm I'm always going to be partial to Ventura because I I grew up with Rob Ventura. I would love I would love to have Robin Ventura again, right? If I give Ventura's offense and defense from the early to mid '90s, sitting at uh, third base right now for the White Sox, uh, sign me up for it. Well, he's compared to Travis Fryman though, who was uh, the Detroit Tigers and then eventually the Indians third base. I don't like that. No, I don't like that at all. No, no, that makes me sick. That makes my stomach queasy. Because Fryman I don't was like that at all. Fryman was okay, right? But not. Yeah. Not anything. Forgettable. Yeah, not anything special. He was a forgettable baseball player. Yeah, he was a forgettable baseball player. I, I don't know. I Look, I mean, honestly, we always we always come back to the Yoan Moncada thing. I know it's probably something we talk about more than anything on this show, is what is Yoan Moncada? I mean, for, so you're telling me Zips is basically saying he is what he is right now. I, I still feel like there's another gear there. Yeah. I have to see it this year, but I still feel like it's there. If I get what I got last year out of him, it's serviceable and it's okay. And it's not going to be the reason you don't win anything. Right. But I also feel like that there's still this part of me that thinks that what happened in 2019 can still be replicated, that he can still come back from that. If he doesn't, then this is what he is. You know, I mean, this is, this is really it. It's either going to be, all right, you see that big breakout, uh, you know, the continuation of 2019 that got stumped by the uh, the basic uh, 60 game season and the and the bout with COVID and then coming out of it last year, whatever. If he, he he's either going to go back to what that trajectory looked like, or he's going to stay what he is now. And and I, I think that's one of the more intriguing storylines of this season because you're going to find out exactly what Yoan Moncada is this year. I think. 
There's going to be no debate afterwards. No. It is what it is. No, and yeah. I think this is where, you know, where you go into it, you sit there and you say, okay, Yohan Moncada has a chance here to go from, you know, a serviceable, good, but not great third baseman for the rest of his career to taking that next step and being somebody that is absolutely, you know, one of the best players on your team. Now, there are some better ones here that, that make me feel a little bit, bit, bit better. Uh, you know, a lot of people are down on the whole Larry Garcia as a maybe an everyday player, but his his comp is Adam Kennedy. If you remember Adam Kennedy of the Angels, who was in the and the Cardinals, who was a rock solid, if not all star second baseman for a long time. And if he produces like Adam Kennedy did back in the day, that's that's professional second basemanship, right? That that'd be okay. I'd be okay right. with prime Adam Kennedy sitting at second base for the Sox. I guess it's not great, but it's, it's, don't, it's don't, not, but you're never going to sell. You're never going to sell me on Larry okay. Garcia being an everyday player. You're never going to sell me. On. Okay. okay. If the White Sox try to sell that on me, I'm going to complain. We're running out of time, man. I've got other things I'm doing here. I got to cut you off because I'm sitting here. I'm trying to figure out whether or not we're having a big guest coming up on, uh, on Tuesday show. Is it somebody we, we can, we can announce or is it somebody that we have to just sort of hint at? Well, I, I, I'm not going to announce it until we have it for sure, but it looks like we're going to have another big one here for the thousand dollar guest bounty. You know, we've had David Sampson on, we've had Liam Hendricks on, we get all these different names to get thrown at us, and then we wait and see whether or not it actually pans out where the person's going to end up on the show. And the problem is, is that I think there's a generational gap here in our communication back and forth, okay? And I'm not even going to blame him, I'm going to blame me. I'm going to blame me for being old, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, a, a child of the 80s, and a, and a teenager, and an adult of the 90s, all right? Because I, we're going back and forth, and I think we have the guests locked in. All right. I think so. I wrote when we're going to talk, which is going to be on Monday for Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. I sent the number for the studio and I said, give me a ring at that one. If that works for you. Okay. And then instead of a response back, I just got a heart emoji. Like, cause these kids, they talk in emojis, right? So, and, and <laughs> so you're saying it's somebody younger on the team, perhaps it's a younger person. Oh yeah. It's a young, and look, I'm going to, I'm going to excuse him because the guy hits bombs. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. And so like, I mean, like this is going to be a fun, this is going to be a fun interview. This is going to be one that people are going to really enjoy having him on the show. Okay. But like he hits bombs and he answers in heart emojis. So it's definitely a question <laughs> I'm going to ask him when he comes on the show. Okay. <laughs> if he's coming on the show, because I don't know if it's like, I love your suggestion that I'll be on the show or yes, I'm in. And I love that. Or I don't know what it means. I don't deal in emojis. Like, this is like when my daughter, when I when I ask her something in a text message and she just writes back with a K. Because OK is too many letters, right? Like, yeah. it, I don't get this stuff, right? I'm trying my hardest with the tweeting and the Instagramming and, the, you know, all that stuff. But, like, right here, I'm sitting there. I'm like, I think we have the guest. I think the guest is locked up, Ed. I think we have another one from the Elite Benefits of America $1,000 guest bounty. Remember, Butch Zemar wants to help you out with your insurance. Check him out at EliteBenefits.net. It'll help out your small and mid-sized company. But, I mean, like, this could be another contestant, or I might not understand the emoji. So, who knows? Tuesday, we'll find out, I guess. All right? That, that's what we're going to do. Tuesday, we'll find out on Tuesday if we have yet another huge guest for the Socks in the Basement $1,000 guest bounty. And, uh, do, I mean, do I respond back with an emoji here? I don't... No. I don't know what emojis to use. Yeah, that's the problem. Like, what do you respond with a do heart? I send a heart nobody, nobody sends me a heart for anything. 
is there like a thank you emoji? Is there a, is there a, what does that mean emoji? I don't know. I'm so confused. I'm so confused. Smiley face? Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.